0: When's the best time to create your book? Write effing now. Tune in and we'll help you master writing, marketing, and publishing one bite at a time. Today, we are talking with Bookmark's brand new bestselling author, Jeremy Schreifels, about songwriting and how to keep on producing massive amounts of content. If you're feeling stuck, this is the one for you. And we'll get after it in just a minute. It's time to write effing now. Here's your host, she's the book lady, the word nerd, and a shameless writing addict, Hilary Jastrum. To-dos for you today. One, keep listening to the episode, learn how to push through your blocks. Two, get after your writing and use all the tools Jeremy is talking about today this will take you one step further along the path to becoming a best-selling author and then you will be all set to reach out and that's when you take step number three you guys know i always surprise you with an extra bonus step so here it is go to j hill one l j hill creative.com hit the contact button at the top of the page we'll be in touch to take that third step with you and help you become the author you've always dreamed of I have a Minnesotan on today, so watch all the accents flying your way that we don't even know that we're doing it, but we are guaranteed to provide you with some entertainment. Jeremy Schreifels is not just a neighbor, he is a prolific songwriter, as in look in the dictionary and you'll see his face. He wrote a fascinating best-selling book called Road to 99 that Bookmark just put out and that changes the way you're going to think about creating anything since he has continually, without fail, written one song per week. It is phenomenal. He introduces a spectacular anchor called The Double Bar, and we are going to get into it. And I am so excited because it has changed the way that I have approached my own creativity. Give it up for my friend and superstar creator, Jeremy Schreifels.
1: Hey, Hillary! thank you. That's quite the introduction to have to follow, by the way. Thank you for that.
0: (laughs) It's like just a little bit of pressure on you. It's fine, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: this is what we do. Musicians, we love pressure.
0: We do. We love it. We riff. We love riffing. I think that's a fun, that's a fun thing too, right? So let's talk about what was the driving thought behind the concept of this book. I I think it's just fascinating. And I want to hold up the book as well. Actually, I have two because You can never have too much. See, I'm so bad with this camera thing. You can never have too much of a good thing. Um, Jeremy designed this cover himself as well. So I don't know if you're like open to any sort of um, work on covers, Jeremy, but (laughs) I could probably send some authors your way. It's absolutely wonderful. Did a great job.
1: Well, thank you. I think you didn't even see that cover until somewhere near the end of the whole process. Near the so end. Yes. I, I kind of kept it kind of hidden and yes, I'm always up to those opportunities because anytime I can bring all of my creative abilities to the table, I certainly like to do that.
0: You do have a lot of creative abilities. And I think that's what was uncovered in the book is that it's not just about songwriting, but it's taking those creative abilities and that aptitude and applying it. So What would you remember the moment that you sat down and you went, you know what, I'm going to write a book? What was that like?
1: Uh, It was eye opening and it was scary and exciting all in the same, probably two breaths. Um, And I think the moment, it was about a nine month difference between that moment and when the actual concept came into my brain. Um, The Road to 99, the title of the book came from inside an actual songwriting session, which is with my co-writer, Nate, who I talk about Mm -hmm. at length in the book. Uh, We were literally on our journey of writing a song a week because that was just our goal, Um, which started out as a place for two songwriters to hang out, which then turned into a creative energy and group, and then ultimately into kind of this songwriting machine that turned out. And in one of those conversations... We just literally talked about our journey of like, what is it going to look like when we hit a hundred songs? And he responded with, well, it's really just our road to 99. And that was like a mic drop moment during our our writing sessions. And for just to kind of give some perspective on those sessions, all of them were done on Zoom. So in a video format, just like this, um, I think of the songs we've written, three of them were done actually in person or in the same space, at least. And so the, that concept launched from there. And then it was about nine months later that I met some pretty unique and awesome individuals, one of them being Hillary, um, who was just like, you need to do this. You need to tell this story. Um, and for lack of a better ra- phrase, you just needed to write it effie now yeah. um, and and go with it.
0: You do. You didn't second guess the urges. I think that, that's that's a huge thing with you. You don't second guess what you feel like you are supposed to do and you don't shy away from the work. So you never go, ah, eh, you know what, but that's going to take a lot of time. And I just don't really wait. You just go, well, okay, it's going to take a lot of time. So I'm going to do it. I mean, and you've done 70, 75 hard twice, correct?
1: Uh, one time.
0: One time you've done it. Okay. So I'm that about to is, start it again. Okay. That's what it is. Yep. That's phenomenal. For for people who aren't familiar with that, tell us what that is and how that sort of mindset ties into what you're doing.
1: So I use 75 hard. Um, I was at like a crossroads or so in my business, in my journey, in my creative space. And I just I needed something that could kind of drive my mind and give me some new outlook on where I was headed. And so I went into the 75 Hard program, which uh, sounds extremely simple on the onset, but as many of you, if you've tried it or read about it, um, can be a challenge. The first thing I always say about 75 Hard is it is not a fitness program. It is a mental toughness program. Right, right. And so it has some very basic things that you have to do, which yes, two of them are that you have to do two 45 minute workouts every day. And one of them has to be outside oh. regardless of weather. And as we alluded to, we are from Minnesota. And so I chose to do mine in the fall before the cold set in.
0: Very so, smart.
1: <laughs> uh, you have to drink a, water, a gallon of water each day. Uh, Take a picture of yourself each day. Read 10 pages of a personal development or business or skill-driven type of book. Uh, No fiction. So that your mind is constantly learning and growing. And then... I think I feel like I'm missing one now. Now that you put me on the spot. But the hard part about those... Was doing them every day. And though we have a little app Mm -hmm. that you use to track it, and we get that little shot of dopamine all day long every time we go click on that little, I checked it down Mm -hmm. and take our picture and post it to wherever you want to. um, It really kind of got my mind into a, I'm setting a new routine. I'm thinking about things different. And then the part that really turned my brain was really the personal development. So the reading 10 pages of a day, a book a day. So I began with 10 pages a day, which As a, in the beginning, not great reader took me like about 30 to 35 minutes, which is a really long time to only read 10 pages, but I increased my brain power. I worked out that muscle and was able to increase it to a half an hour. But then it was just, I'm reading for a half an hour and however far I got, because I could exceed 10 pages by a lot. And about three weeks into that program, four weeks into that program, I had read about three books and joined this amazing networking group um, called Apex, and met some amazing people just a few days into it, who connected me um, with an amazing editor who I'm currently talking to. Um, And because of that, it really drove me to want to do it. Um, And I'm going to share this, because I think everybody needs to know, because I thought this was an amazing part of what you're talking about, about following your gut and doing the work and just being aware of your own mindset. Many of the first four books that I read were something I talked about when I talked to Hillary for the very first time. And I said, I want my book to sound like these four books. And she says, I think I can accomplish that because I edited and published them all. (laughs) So unbeknownst to both of us, we were already on the same track and we had yet to talk about what my book was actually about. And so that program and getting all the way through it and having the termination just helped and guided all of those processes along the way. I just happened to get in pretty good shape, probably better shape than I've been at in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I felt better mentally and I was better for the people around me and my family and my business connections. I was just better for those people, which just made wanting to also release those creative opportunities through telling stories in my book, a possibility.
0: Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's just, it's the people that you're around. Uh, So the other one that you're thinking of, I think it's, you can't drink and you have to eat well, right? Yes.
1: Yes. So no alcohol. And then, um, the way it's stated is you have to make healthy eating choices. Okay. So whatever that looks like for you, because each person, um, is different. And so they have, their body has different needs. And I chose one path. Many people chose different. Um, and the one thing I, I also talk about with that is having support. Um, I was invited into a, a Facebook group of about 75 or 80 people who are all doing this at the same time. And so we could support each other through that.
0: And having support is really important on your journey too, because in your songwriting journey, you had Nate, but you also had other people along the way in that journey. And so it's, it was about showing up for each other, which I think is... It's interesting because you can join these groups and it'll be like, oh, this isn't really effective for me. This isn't really working. And that that collaborative process is absent. But with the two of you, you know, both in, like in 75 hard, you did it. Now you're doing it in the songwriting journey because you're continuing with the journey right now. Correct. You're still doing it.
1: Correct. Yes. yes.
0: Okay. So and part of the reason that you show up, you do it for yourself. But you also do it for Nate, because if you don't show up for him, then what happens?
1: Right. He misses. He doesn't have that opportunity then. Exactly. Um, since starting to write the book, I've increased that from one person a week to a minimum of two to three people now per week that I'm writing with using the same sort of process. And, it, and it's the same thing of showing up for those people. And um, I just I really think it's a both and it's it's never about me. It's never about the other person. It's always about the us. Um, and that's where that synergy happens in that collaboration. Um, I was having a conversation with a writer this morning that we were working on a song and it was literally about, I love that we can just get together and we can get through these things Yeah. because yeah. I could never do it on my own.
0: Yeah. And it Getting through it when you even get stuck. But I want to back up for just a minute because you are classically trained, aren't you? And you are a teacher of music. So I want to give a little bit of a frame of reference on who you are, where you came from, why this is important to you.
1: So uh, I am classically trained and spent my college years um, working on a theory and composition degree. And so for those of you who, who don't know, that's basically you're a music nerd. And you like all things that are the finer details of music, um, like chords and structure and harmony and um, many of the things that probably editors talk about with authors in books. And so I worked through that process and it wasn't probably until about eight or nine years ago that I started working in what people would consider a songwriting space. Um, And I really struggled um, because... After having some conversation with songwriters who had been working in the industry in a while, they gave me this analogy like you're coming to the table and writing songs with every specialty power tool and cutting and laser and all of the fancy things. And all you need is a hammer and a nail and a tape measure and a saw Yeah. to, to do songwriting. So basically, I was overcomplicating. I was bringing too many things. Um And having a paralysis by analysis without even just letting the song speak.
0: Did you ever see the episode of Frasier where he is asked to write the intro for his show? And he brings in the string quartet and he has like a, a harp player and some opera singers and whatever else. And what they wind up doing is like, what's doing right now? How you doing? Da, da, da. Right. And right. they're like, it just is this whole cacophony of this, you know, enormous presentation. And they go, that's great and everything. But we just needed like some guy just did it. And right. that's what they wound up choosing. Is that what you is that what you felt like when you were coming in? Like, I'm just going to make this huge production.
1: Yes. And I still feel like that some days um, because I get so wrapped up in the creative part of bringing a song alive. Yeah. Um, I was having a, a conversation with a client today, a new client. And the concern is always when they come into a pro- a producer and talking about songwriting and producing. it's like, well, I have these lyrics and I have this melody. Well, how do we make it a song? And I said, well, let's talk about that. What does that look like? What is your song trying to say? And then I love just trying to make it come alive with the right people and the right creative pieces to make that happen. But you're right. So many times I get over, I want to throw all of the things at it and really Sometimes we just need a guitar and a voice.
0: Yeah. So And that's enough. Of, okay. So part of that mastery is knowing what not to do. Yes. Okay. So when you're creating a song with Nate, who is one of your partners, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because you've done this so often. Do you have a sense now of we don't need to go there and you don't even put it out there. You just kind of buffer it in your own head and go, it's not, that's not the piece for that.
1: Uh, yes and no. Um, I would say yes. We definitely learn all of the things that we probably don't use, need to use and or try again. Mm-hmm. But sometimes throwing out those ideas is what gets us to the good ones. Okay. Um, I learned from another songwriter just talking, sometimes throwing out words that we think might not even apply to the song gives the other person an opportunity to come up with an idea that would have never have come into existence without at least speaking that dumb idea. And so I try to go into every session, like there's no dumb ideas. There's no wrong lyrics. There's only the, how do we get to the one that we need today?
0: Yes. Do you, do you, are you ever like plagued with an idea that you know is not the right idea, but you just have to get it out and say it to get it out of the way when we, um, back in marketing, you know, when I was, when I was in college, the brainstorming rule would be just blood, just get it out. Like, okay, you're talking about laundry. So purple elephant there it's out. We've released it. Was there anything like that? That happens
1: all the time. In yeah. fact, probably at least one time every session, I'm just like, I'm just going to say this and I know it's not going to fit at all. <laughs> and that's how I will say it. I'm like, I know this isn't going to fit, but just go with me for a second. Yeah. And then I would say 80% of the time that sparks something in one of our brains. That's like, oh no, well, this is, has to be it then. And, but it's, it needed that purple elephant to come out for, for people to understand. I use a, an exercise and I talk about it in the book about doing a brain shower yes. and just um, kind of word riffing. And you just start with a word and then you write down the absolute next word you think of and next word. and the idea is to just let your brain wander for a specific period of time and they they don't need to be related. In fact, it's probably better if they're not, yeah. but it's just what comes to your brain next. And you just try to fill a piece of paper and it starts to get some of those creative ideas. And I think what you're alluding to is it helps you eliminate roadblocks yes. or writer's block because mm-hmm. you're allowing your brain to be free and have... Um, not use preconceived notions or like it has to be this way or i try to eliminate those as man- much as possible as humans it's natural we're going to have them and we're going to try to st- to use them however whatever we can do to try to minimize those it's easier and when you have somebody a writing partner that's also open to that idea some are not um but as long as they're open to that idea it just it makes for a better process and the longer you do it the more comfortable you you get with that person to be able to say those things and you know it's very similar to just having a relationship with someone
0: yeah I, well i would imagine you're i mean you know week after week you're doing this so what you're talking about brain showers um i don't really have a name for the particular exercise but that's what i advise people writers to do when they're stuck is write that word And um, so it's a little bit different, but then I say, um, write that word over and over and over again until eventually that word becomes something else or um, just free, free write without any... It feels like as creative people, we always feel like we might get punished if we do it wrong, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you beat yourself to the punch and allow yourself to do it wrong, well, then you've eliminated that fear and you've said, I'm just going to, you know, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to suck today. I'm just going to suck and I'm going to get it over with, even if it's not sucking, which brings me to my next point. Um, speaking of being all over the road, like road to ninety nine, my road is like this woo when <laughs> I um but is there a point, and have you been able to pinpoint what makes a good song, where you go, yes, there are some like tactical ingredients to it, or is it all by feel or how how does that happen where you take it from we're playing around to this can this can be a song.
1: I think that there's a couple layers you're asking a very big question that has I think a couple layers um I think what makes a good song for an artist which is somebody who is just trying to create um right. is something that resonates with them or resonates within a writing partnership and it feels good to us and those are usually good starting points
0: right. and then
1: the next good song I use that term in quotes because it's so personalized to the listener. I always when people are always asking me about songwriting, I always talk and they're like, "Well, it has to be this or this is a good song." And my kind of coined response is a good song is when the masses want to listen to it cuz ultimately the the consumer of it or the listeners, they are the ones who decide what a good song is and is If we're measuring good song as in how many streams can I get on a digital platform or how many albums can I sell? However, um, I did a, a song with my friend CJ um, that we wrote about our dads who yeah. somehow we figured out only passed away three months away from each other. And we sat and wrote a song. It took us about 35 minutes. It was very fast probably one of the fastest songs i've ever written with someone and it's probably one of my favorite because it means the most to me so to me it's an amazing song
0: yeah i've listened to it a couple of times and it's really beautiful
1: and so to me that's a good song because one other person wants to listen to it and enjoys it so that's a good song
0: it is yeah Now, when you talked about the other aspects of it, like the masses want to listen to it, have you been able to kind of dissect or reverse engineer what goes into a song? Is it introducing a new sound? Is it introduced? Because uh, lately it seems like a lot of songs are over synthesized and we're not seeing the talent that we've seen. Like, in the seventies, in the eighties, in the sixties, the fifties, that raw talent of just like bringing your raw instrument to the table. Now there's all these buttons and things like that, that you can push. So what, what do you, what do you think about that?
1: How many hours do we have for the (laughs) podcasts? 23 and a half. (laughs) Um, That's a lot of different winding roads. Um, I would say, The short answer is it's really hard to pinpoint the thing. Here is what I have noticed. Um, We as human beings and as the masses, um, the largest body of listening people, um, we appreciate repetition. We appreciate simplicity and we appreciate something that can catch our ear enough to be repeatable. Um, And if you listen to most top 40 stations um, what you'll experience is they play the same 20 songs over and over every hour. So whether you like it or not, you're going to like that song because after a period of time, your brain starts to recognize it as it's familiar because you've heard it enough times Uh, that there are certainly sorts of things that say, yes, that's great. And certainly sort of things that are disheartening to people who our creatives in a space where we want to be valued for our musicianship like the bands of the 60s 70s and 80s Um, just to get probably the simplest way to explain it that's probably easiest for most people is thinking about something like auto-tune which is basically the tuning of vocals so that they are perfect Um, so if you listen to most top 40 stations in whatever genre you want to listen to. It doesn't matter. Country, pop, rap, heavy metal, all of them use it. Now uh, the expectation is that you are perfect. Go listen to a Rolling Stones record. Yeah, They are so out of time and so vocally out of tune with each other, mm-hmm. but that's the magic. Yes. That was the magic of the room. Um, and in understanding the time period that they're in. So if we're talking about, you know, is, you know, are songs better now today than they were before? Well, I don't know. Uh, they're certainly different and they certainly hold different creative values. Um, yeah. But I think that we are becoming a little bit over synthesized, um, over produced, um, mm-hmm. where many times um, anybody with a laptop can produce an album. Um, I'll try. Uh, probably an easy example is um, Billy Eilish. Her and her brother got their start with a laptop in an apartment.
0: Okay, I didn't know that. Um, my daughter and my son both went to her concert like a couple—just a couple ago. weeks ago. Yep, just a couple weeks ago. I like to call her William Eyelash to bother them, and I will continue <laughs> to do so. But no, I'm I, I, going <laughs> to use
1: that now. By the way,
0: <laughs> yeah. are you going to go see William Eyelash? They're like, Mom. I'm like, I know. I'm doing it right. Okay, great. So. Okay, so that's interesting because it's like, I wonder if there's a component of we want everything the way we want it right now, when we want it, and that is the overflow into music, but we're not shooting for perfection. It's those happy accidents, and you talk about that. You talk about stumbling onto the happy accidents, and those aren't perfect accidents. What are those?
1: Uh, Music, (laughs) art. You know, I, I, I try to think about what does a performing artist do? What is in, um, by that, I mean, like in a theater, they're never perfect, um, because it's emotion and, or a visual artist with painting or whatever medium they so choose, you know, those things are not perfect because they're not supposed to be because that's where the art is. It's in the interpretation. It's in the feedback in the emotional connection that you get to the, the listener, the onlooker, the person that's taking in a performance. Um, yeah. And perfect doesn't really exist.
0: No, it's in the mess. The beauty is in the mess. Yes. You know, and that's what I think we, but, it, but mess can make us uncomfortable. And so we move away from it and we start to move towards perfection because perfection has clean lines and, um, and it feels good and it's, you know, and it feels safer somehow. So I, I like that you know, it, this analogy exists and uh, making the connection to writing, too, is that you don't have to be perfect. you know, this is this is what I love is that, and so many times we go, well, I know what my mess looks like behind the scenes, right? You know what it looks like to write a book. You know Mm -hmm. that it's messy. You know that you get disheartened. You know that you have to push yourself. And so that's your comparison to somebody else's process that you have no idea what they went through, what they've gone through rather. And all you can do is look at that finished product and say, here's my mess, here's their finished product. That's why I am um, not as talented or I'm not as this, or I'm not, we always start with the less than, right? Because right. we aren't allowed to see the messes anymore, and mess is beautiful because mess is struggle and mess is learning and all of those things. And so, I love that you're trying to flip the narrative with that and let people just be, just be a mess, flow it all over the page. Um, I think what you did too that was really fascinating in terms of collaboration. And you can do this alone as well. It's the double bar, and I'm calling it an anchor because an anchor to me is something that roots you in place. It is a it's a milestone of sorts. It can be, right? or it can also right. be a, a physical thing that you use. So talk about the double bar in terms of both collaboration with someone else as well as yourself.
1: Well, the double bar is just it's a means of of, of finishing. And moving to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I referenced the double bar just in terms of my um, theory and composition teacher in college was just like, Jeremy, you just have to finish it. Otherwise you will forever edit it and it will never be done because it will never be perfect, but it needs to be a picture of what you were at that moment. Um, And so I take that approach and sometimes um, the mess is just still the mess and you just, you need to leave it there. And sometimes it won't be perfect. Um, sometimes maybe I don't spend enough time to get it more perfect or more to the next thing. But I always look at it like, well, that's, that's the picture for today. And, you know, go next. Um, and then when I got into the book process and writing, because it's brand new, I felt myself sometimes being like, I just need to put a double bar here and just be done with this book. I'm done with it. I want to move on. And thank goodness I had a really great team of people around me and supporters that were like, no, um, it's good, but we can be better. And because we want it to be better for you. Um, and so I think that that's where that collaboration piece comes in. Um, when I collaborate and I want to put a double bar, sometimes somebody's like, no, let's move that line just a little farther down because we're not quite there yet, but we're really close. Um, and so I found a lot of parallels between songwriting and producing a song and writing a book because yeah. they're they're very similar. Um, but I do find that having that team around you is is imperative it and is. necessary.
0: No song, um, and no, and I know this from my son as well, Josh mm-hmm. Sky. no song, no book. Um, I, I don't know if i go so far as it's like a piece of, um, you know, artistry, right? Because the artist generally creates that themselves, but in, in showing it in, you know, mm-hmm. setting it up and their events and all that stuff, nobody is ever alone. We are not on an island. Um, there's a huge ensemble behind people. And I think sometimes this has to do with, letting go and saying this is my role right here this is what I'm doing but all of these other people have other roles and in every single massive creative production that there is there's usually a team of people and and you're lucky i feel like when i work with a team of people i had two three editors on my last book because i don't want mine my, my as the author as the creator to be the final word i'm far too biased for that. Nobody right. <laughs> right? And I'm sure you felt that way as well and you feel that way in your songs. Like this is coming from me and so the the ability to be um open-minded about it, your that door closes a little bit. We have our we have that relationship with ourselves. So the double bar in in music is like you just draw the double bar and you say that's it, the song is is that at the end of every song.
1: Yeah. So, in, in in a in a compositional standpoint, or when you're writing a song, in you know, for us people that used to actually write with manuscript paper instead of a piano, because um, I used to write for orchestras and string quartets and and you know wind ensembles and things of that nature, mm-hmm. the last part of a song, so that the entire ensemble knows it's over, is what's called a double bar. That's mm-hmm. the end of the song. There will be no more performance after that moment. Of that particular piece. And so that's the double bar. We're finished. We're done. The song is over. And so we can use that parallel for any creative thing. It's the double bar, is it's the end. We're, you know, I love it. This particular piece of art is at its completion.
0: It's a simple concept, too. Easy to remember. You can say, I'm just gonna double bar it. You talk about that too when you get to um, obstacles where you go. We're just going to double bart for now. We'll come back to it later. But right now, it's finished. But you've made some impressive inroads with some big names, and I am wondering what do you think was the most effective thing that you did to facilitate that?
1: Um, the feedback I get, and I'm going to use this from somebody else's perspective because it's always I'm always. I tell my wife always I'm just being me and I'm just doing what I do. I can't explain why or how. But what I'm continually told is just be a good person, be a good listener and go and reach out and and see who you can connect with. Um and that just over time, over and over and over, I was able to meet some really amazing people who have been super helpful. Um in all sorts of um, different milestones in the last ten years.
0: So, would you just ask? I like what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. How do I do that?
1: Sometimes, um, sometimes it was just hey, just providing them value, saying, um, saying thank you. Um, I found as being a live performer for a long time, and still to this day. Um, you know, it's kind of a thankless job sometimes to just, um, I'm a drummer. And so I sit in the back. And so many times though, I'm kind of holding the band all together all night. The -hmm. person up front with the microphone and the name is the person who is getting all of the attention afterwards. And that's okay. I'm not looking for the attention. That's why I'm not a lead singer. (laughs) However, um, just being noticed and so when I go to places or shows or go to places where I can meet people that um, I want to align myself with, just saying thank you or giving them a compliment or making them feel like they're of value for whatever it is they do whether they're a drummer or a songwriter or a, a speaker on a stage or whatever their whatever their skill is and just being thankful and being there. Um,
0: Seeing them, seeing them, and saying, "This is how I can help you," and and um, and I think this is amazing. And and let me give you a hand. Really goes a long way because are these people are used to what can you do for me? What can you give me? Why wasn't it like this? Why wasn't my experience this or whatever? So when you come to them and say, "Hey, I'm I'm here for you." And I want to help you, I think, in anything, really. I mean, do you think that is a law of reciprocation?
1: I think so. And I would parallel to that because I did a lot. I taught um, high school students for 20 years Mm -hmm. doing um, marching band and indoor marching percussion and private lessons and all those kinds of things. Um, And one thing that I learned really early uh that my wife taught me who was in the early childhood area so she deals with the littles and i deal with the bigs yeah. um is you just have to meet them where they're at and so that's okay. the same right if um when i would walk into a preschool room i'm very big to a, a three-year-old and they look up and i'm a very scary person But as soon as you are down on your knees or sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce, (laughs) you are at their same level. And all of a sudden, you are the same as them. And so I use that in business and use that going forward. Just meet them where they are at and what their needs are. And the rest will kind of take care of itself from there um, if it's supposed to be.
0: True. I so say you don't force it either.
1: No, I uh, let the gut kind of be the guide.
0: Oh, that's nice. I like that. So as we wrap up here, talk about your future plans. What are you up to? Because I know that you get down to Nashville. I know that you play a lot locally, and I know that you have got you, you're hanging some stars out there. What is going on with you?
1: Uh, well, a few things, um, as you alluded to, still playing live. Um, quite a bit probably it'll end up being somewhere between 60 and 80 shows this year for in the year 2022 that we're currently in um, which is a great feeling because we had two years of not that prior and then um, songwriting is really continuing to grow and be a a bigger driving force in my space and so just connecting with more people in that space and and, in that part of the industry Mm -hmm. Um, And then along with the book and wanting to really help more people in more spaces than just music is launching a parallel coaching program to just help people and be help them think more creatively about their situations, um, whether it's business life or something specific, Um, and just giving them an opportunity to grow to be a more creative thinker and thought processor and achieve what they want to achieve and how it works best for them.
0: That's fantastic. So again, you're always putting other people first and you are going to have that number one song because you say that you are not going to stop until you do it. Correct. That's, that's awesome. We all, we need those dreams to keep going forward. Is that what you have found too, that, that having dreams is really important to what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, motivation can get us started and that's great, but you have to have purposeful passion to really push it forward and be courageous to achieve those goals um, and keep pushing forward every day.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Really good stuff. Um, Really helpful to writers, to songwriters, to people trying to collaborate and work on a team. I am just so grateful that you were on today. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you. It was a splendid afternoon.
0: Good, good. We get so bogged down in thinking that we need to turn out something magnificent every single time we sit down, but Jeremy will tell you that every song he creates will not go on to be recorded. That doesn't stop him. We need to get into the habit of creating and releasing, of easing the pressure that we put on ourselves. We need to share just how to do that and rewrite the expectation that it all has To be perfect because it is one big, beautiful mess. You are and you see the finished product yourself, but you, I'm going to cut that. We'll cut that. And Drew, I'm trying to read and (laughs) be focused at the same time. All right, let me do it again. We get so bogged down in thinking that we need to turn out something magnificent every single time we sit down, but Jeremy will tell you that every song he creates does not make it to recording. Still, he keeps on going, which I think is just monumental. We need to get into the habit of creating and releasing, of easing the pressure that we put on ourselves, we need to share just how to do that. We are looking at a mess in front of us when we create and comparing it to other people's masterpiece, and it's all shiny and polished, and that honestly is not fair to us. The expectation that we have to show up is perfect. That is not what the journey to create looks like. You are working on a whip, as we call it, which is a work in progress versus somebody else's masterpiece. So keep that in mind and think about that compare and contrast as you go. Our hats are off to Jeremy and our castanets are clanging along wildly to debunk this dynamic. And we're so grateful for that today. Get the Road to 99 on Amazon if you are and aren't a songwriter he's a master he's going to teach you how to release and create well worth the buy and i can tell you that i read it like three times and uh it's phenomenal definitely worth it now that's it for this week's chapter of Write effing now when you need proven tips on getting the best writing on the page you know where to go until next time authors right on